Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for December 12th, 2017. Hopefully a slate that shapes up to be better than Monday night's slate where the game started and then everybody immediately got ruled out. So hopefully the people that are supposed to play actually end up playing tomorrow night. Seven games for Batman to talk about. First game on the slate, Denver Nuggets at the Detroit Pistons. Really strong spot for the Pistons. It's a pace-up spot, and also Denver just has been terrible on defense without Millsap and Jokic. Jokic has been ruled out in advance for this game. From the Denver side of the game, uh, let's see. It's, it's a bit too expensive for me for Gary Harris at 6700 I think Will Barton's in play at 7400 I wouldn't say there's a lot of value in that price tag, but last few games, actually, uh, let's see. 46 fantasy points, 28, 45, 47. So, okay, that's that's actually plenty of upside for him at 7,400. He's a strong play from the Denver side. The big man situation, Kenneth Reed versus Mason Plumley. Plumley's been starting. Doesn't really matter. I don't know what the point of him starting is. He's starting, he's playing like 18 minutes per game, and then Freed comes off the bench and plays over 30 minutes. So, Freed seems like the guy for now. I wouldn't say I have a ton of confidence in him, except if I have to roster one of the two, it would be Farid over Plumley. And then from the Detroit side of the game, I think there's a lot of strong plays. Andre Drummond, 9,400. It's expensive, but I don't care. He should be able to just destroy Kenneth Farid. He has a massive size advantage over him. Tobias Harris is a good GPP play. Reggie Jackson's fine at 5,900. The Nuggets have been bad against point guards. Uh, since Millsap's been out, they were the worst team against point guards last year, which I expect to be the same until they get some of their guys back. And then Avery Bradley at 5200 That's a cheap price for him. He hasn't been really great lately, except I think he has a lot of floor at 5200 so he's a pretty safe cash play. So the one guy you mentioned who really stands out to me is Andre Drummond, and it fits the trend of us just targeting big men against the Nuggets now. Without Jokic and Millsap there, it's just a really strong matchup for any big men, and especially one like Drummond that is going against some really poor and I guess undersized defenders is the big thing. Drummond should be able to get basically every rebound in that game. Um, the over-under for this game is only at 208.5, and, and I kind of thought it would be a lot higher before I looked at it. I think the Pistons have really slowed down the way they played recently. They've been a slow-paced team for a while now. It seems like very recently they've gone slower. Like They played a game with the Celtics that had something like 175 total points. The game before that against the Warriors was, I think it was 100 to 88. So they they just haven't they haven't been in these higher that one was 102 to 98 actually so not not a crazy low amount of points but it kind of has me wary of using Denver guys um, and then Will Barton is going to be guarded by Avery Bradley which is sort of a tough matchup so I like Drummond I like Bradley I think Reggie Jackson's usable but other than let's say Kenneth Fareed. I don't really have a ton of interest in using the Nuggets side of this game, and I think there's some sort of blowout risk, too. The Nuggets are only seven-point favorites, but, I mean, uh, seven-point underdogs, but they've been really bad recently, and without Jokic and Millsap, they could kind of just get blown out by anyone. Yeah, Detroit, 22nd in the NBA in pace, so it's definitely a pace-down spot for Denver. Um, I I would say that if if I was going to roster one guy, though, it would still probably be Will Barton for me, just because he's been so good with so much upside over the last couple weeks of games. Like, he's had more games over 40 fantasy points than under, and he's only 7,400. Yeah, I think that's fair. So the, the guys that are easier to fade are probably Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, probably Wilson Chandler. I do like Barton more than those guys. And then Fareed playing the extra minutes in place of Millsap and Jokic is just underpriced also. He doesn't need to do that much to hit value. So it's it's definitely going to be Fareed or Barton, if anyone, but maybe just neither of them. 
All right, next game on the slate. This one's going to be tough to draw an opinion on. The Atlanta Hawks, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kevin Love is questionable, and John Collins is questionable. So if Love doesn't play LeBron 11,800 against the Hawks, there's a decent amount of blowout risk in a home game for the Cavs against the Hawks because the Cavs have been better over the last couple weeks than they were at the start of the season. But still, LeBron, I would say, slightly risky but really strong play at 11,800 if Kevin Love is out. He would still be in play anyway, except just a better play if Love isn't in. There would be slightly less blowout risk and more usage to go to LeBron. And then for the Hawks, I think John Collins is always fine as a GPP play if he's starting and active, obviously. 5,500 for John Collins. Let's see, what is he averaging as a starter this year? Uh, As a starter, he is playing 27 minutes per game and scoring 25 fantasy points. That's a little skewed because he left the game early with an injury, and then there was another game that's a blowout. But, I mean, due to John Collins' per-minute production, if he's in the starting lineup, he has a ton of upside. It's just a little risky because first game back, are they going to have a minutes restriction on him? And then he's always potentially going to be in foul trouble. So I say GPP only for John Collins in his first game back if he's active. Yeah, I like that strategy too. And then for the Cavs, if Kevin Love doesn't play, Tristan Thompson is actually supposed to return for this game. How many minutes do you think he's allowed to play if Love isn't there? Because at 3,800 without Kevin Love, I feel like there's a lot of upside. Even if he's only playing 20, 20, 25 minutes, he's going to be more responsible. Well, there's going to be more rebounds to grab, but he may end up scoring more just because there's extra usage to go around for everybody. So would you use Thompson if Love's out? Because I'm just going to assume that Thompson's not in play if Love is playing. So here's the problem with Tristan Thompson. He started five games this year. He's playing 20 minutes per game as a starter and averaging under 12 fantasy points. So I'll say that maybe you could consider using him just because he's been better that, than that in the past, but he's been really terrible when he's played this year. Yeah, it's just that if Kevin Love isn't playing, it kind of changes the equation, because even in games where Thompson has started, Love has probably been starting also, so there's just more responsibility for him than there normally would be. Uh, I definitely have zero interest in him if Kevin Love is playing. Yeah, that's fair. I think, I think also it's just going to be a thing where you have to pay attention to how many minutes are they going to let him play, and if it's a thing where Kevin loves out and they say he's unrestricted, then he makes sense. But if there's any sort of situ- situation where he's restricted or if it's just Kevin Love playing, then then probably no Tristan Thompson. But I do agree with you that if, if Thompson is starting, Love is out, and no restriction, then Thompson's probably a pretty strong play. Next game on the slate, Lakers at Knicks. Uh, Lonzo Ball, 6,600. There are some games where I'll say that like I'm into Lonzo Ball. This is not going to be one of them at 6,600. Uh, I mean, Ball has a good game What every three weeks or so. He just like murders value, and then just comes nowhere close to it every other game. Uh, 6,600, I'll stay away from Ball. There's probably going to be better options on the slate. My favorite play in this game is going to be Kristaps Porzingis at 8,500. Tim Hardaway's still out. So that's more usage for Porzingis. He has a usage rating. I think it's around 36% with Hardaway off the floor this year. And then if you look at at uh, Porzingis' price also, he was he was over 9,000 earlier in the year, and that was with Hardaway active. And then obviously Porzingis got hurt and came back and was a little rusty, but 52 fantasy points in the last game, scored 30 points on 23 shots. So I, I think that Porzingis, there's actually a good amount of value in his price tag at 8,500 in a plus matchup. Yeah, I think so too. And I also think Ennis Cantor could benefit from the matchup. He's been dealing with, I think it was a hip injury that had him out for a game and then limited in their last game against the Hawks on Sunday. So if Cantor's unrestricted, 
I think there's some value on him too. Um, the Lakers side, though, it's kind of just really hard to predict who's going to do well, and it seems like a lot of fair pricing. Julius Randle always has GPP upside, so maybe I'd go there, but Porzingis is definitely the safest play in the game. Guys like Cantor and Randle, I think, are decent, but maybe a little bit of a reach for GPPs. Yeah, I mean, the other issue with just targeting Lakers guys is that you never know where the minutes are going to go. Sometimes Lonzo Ball plays minutes. Sometimes it's Clarkson playing a lot of the minutes. Sometimes Randall plays. Sometimes Kuzma plays. Every once in a while, Brooke Lopez plays. It's just really, really hard to predict. And it's so absurd that Brooke Lopez is all the way down to 4,400, except he rarely plays over 20 minutes a game now. Yeah, if you could just guess right when Lopez is going to get the minutes, it would be massive value in his price tag. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't rostered Brooke Lopez in a very long time. And we're usually wrong when we try to figure out when he's going to play a lot. So who knows? I mean, maybe it's just use Lopez only in revenge games against the Nets and just ignore him all other times. All right. So the next game is the Wizards against the Nets. I'm really surprised that there's a line for this game because John Wall is currently questionable to play. He's missed a bunch of games in a row, and it looks like he could come back for tomorrow. I'm going to assume that Wall is restricted if he plays if he's unrestricted, 8200 against the Nets is a ridiculous price for John Wall. Uh, I have a feeling that that's probably not going to be the case. I think it's a very unlikely situation, but not impossible that Wall plays unrestricted, so it's worth mentioning. Uh, I also think Spencer Dinwiddie at 6100 I think that he's a pretty strong play from the Nets side of the game. And then Jaleel Okafor, all the way down at 4200 we don't know what Okafor's role is going to be with the Nets, but if the Nets say that they're going to start Okafor at center at 4,200, I think that that's a really strong play. Uh, probably a little bit too risky for cash games, but for GPP, once again, a lot of upside. Yeah, that Okafor pick is pretty interesting. I think there is a lot of upside there, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's really hard to trust that situation. If he's starting, then I guess we can expect a normal amount of minutes uh, I'm with you on how strange it is that the Wizards-Nets game has a betting line, and I just checked a couple of places. It it is available, so I don't I don't know why that's the case. Minus three is probably what the fair line would be if Wall was inactive. The Wizards are maybe five or six points better than the Nets on a neutral court without John Wall. Three is probably the number that get that it would be for uh, after adjusting for home court advantage. So yeah, that line would normally be way higher if John Wall were playing. Maybe Vegas just assumes that he'll be out, uh, or they one just thing, aren't aware of what's going on. Um, so there, there hasn't been any beat reporters that have put out a report on John Wall. But if you look at the Wizards game notes, they've had Wall is just listed as out for every game, and they have him listed as questionable for tomorrow. So I wonder if that's just something that got overlooked. Yeah, either that or the Wizards game notes just messed up, and he is just out and... I don't know, we're just talking about something that's going to be completely irrelevant. But I'm going to guess that at this point, Vegas has seen no reason to update the game based on John Wall's status. They're assuming he's out. Uh, it would definitely change the dynamic of the game a lot if Wall ends up playing. So that's certainly something that we'll need to monitor. All right, another game with injury news. The theme of the night and kind of the theme that ends up being a lot of nights is we don't know who's playing. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers... At the Minnesota Timberwolves, we have, for the Sixers, TJ McConnell, Bob Covington, Joel Embiid, all questionable. It is really hard to make an, uh, like any kind of analysis on the Sixers side of the game 
when Embiid and Covington are both questionable. If they're both out, it's a ton of sim. It's a ton of usage for Ben Simmons, and Dario Saric at 5700 also becomes a really big part of the offense. TJ McConnell at 4300, uh, not really as much to talk about. He's just kind of the backup point guard. If he's out, it's more minutes for Jared Bayless, but McConnell himself wouldn't be in play. From the Timberwolves side of the game, the starters are going to play a lot of minutes. If Embiid's out, the Sixers go from being one of the better defensive teams in the league to being one of the worst defensive teams in the league. So it has a lot of significance for the uh, Timberwolves side of the game. Carl Anthony Towns would be a strong play if, if Embiid is out. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I already think, is a decent play. Those are my two favorite guys to roster from the from the Timberwolves. Yeah, Towns for sure, I think, is the is the really strong value play if Embiid's not there. There's just really no one else the Sixers have that can match up with him. So I'll be very heavy on Carl Anthony Towns if Embiid's not playing. Um, how much of an impact do you think it is on Dario Saric if Embiid doesn't play? I know the minutes go up a little usually, but it also seems like the usage goes up quite a bit too. Yeah, let me look it up. I mean, the minutes definitely go up because Sarge plays a decent amount of center minutes without Embiid, and then with Embiid, he just doesn't play those minutes. So, I would worry about foul trouble too, though, if he's actually guarding Towns. So I might yeah, also well, speculate probably, that um, Amir Johnson plays all that much, though. Yeah, Amir Johnson would probably have to play more to make up for that. Yeah, and then they also have um, Trevor Booker that can give minutes to now. Oh yes. Uh, good name to throw in there. I had forgotten about that end of the trade. Yeah, Trevor Booker probably makes all of those Sixers bench guys in the front court just a little less viable because they're spreading the minutes around a little bit more. Yeah, so Dario Saric goes from about 18% usage to 21% usage with uh, Embiid off the floor. So 3% is pretty significant, especially when somebody only has an 18% usage to start with. So pretty decent bump there for... Dario Saric, if indeed is out. Uh, next game on the slate, and this one is going to be, for the most part, a fade spot. Spurs at Dallas. So I think J.J. Beret is usable 5,100 from the Dallas side of the game. For the Spurs, we have the return of Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is almost definitely going to be restricted, but him coming back means Rudy Gay goes to the bench, less usage for LaMarcus Aldridge, less minutes for Pau Gasol because the Spurs played more small lineups. So I think the return of Kawhi just kind of takes all the Spurs out of play, at least for the time being. Yeah, it really seems like the only usable player in this game at all is J.J. Barea. Uh, it becomes a lot tougher of a matchup for Harrison Barnes if Kawhi Leonard is guarding him compared to Rudy Gay guarding him. I do think Wes Matthews is kind of always in play, but yeah, it seems like Barea would be the only really usable guy here. All right, last game on the slate. Two of my... Just least favorite teams. The Phoenix Suns at the Sacramento Kings. From the Suns side of the game, I like TJ Warren a lot. He's one guy who could really rely on for minutes for the Spur, for the uh, Suns. And then there's nobody else who I'm confident is going to play minutes. Tyson Chandler, Alex Len, and Greg Monroe could all be in the rotation to get minutes tomorrow. The point guard situation, Mike James played, I think it was like 30 minutes last game, and Tyler Ewis played 18 minutes. So I have no clue which one of them is going to play the bulk of the minutes. And then from the Kings side of the game, Willie Cauley-Stein is questionable. If he's out, I think Zebo comes back into play again at 7100 The only issue is that his price has gone way up. He was much more usable when he was at 5200 I think 7100 against the Suns. He's in play, but not necessarily a strong play. Yeah, I, I think I would just fade Zebo for GPP because the price has gone up. But also, he's been one of the highest-owned players on every slate recently. 
And it was more than justified when he when his price tag was in the high fours or low fives. But now it's 7,100. That's just kind of ridiculous. And I don't think his ownership will take too much of a hit as a result just because of he, he's been so good recently. Um, the Eulis-Mike James situation, it seems like the Suns kind of just give the minutes to whoever's playing well. So last game against the Spurs, uh, the Suns got down by, I think, 15 to 20 points early in the game. And Eulis wasn't playing particularly well. And then they made a run in the second half, and James was in for that. So they just left him in for most of the fourth quarter, if not all the fourth quarter. Uh, the Suns only ended up losing by a couple points. So maybe we can assume that Eulis has more minute security against the Kings, where it's more likely that the Suns are actually able to play well, just because the Kings are so bad. And I don't think we have to worry that the Suns get down by a ton of points and have to just go to their second unit for a long stretch. But I definitely agree that TJ Warren is the safest guy and maybe the only truly safe guy on the Phoenix side. Uh, but Tyson Chandler and uh, Tyler Ulis as starters, I think, have more security against Sacramento than they would against uh, a better team where there'd be more of a chance that they're getting blown out. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough to trust the Suns' big man situation, especially if all three of the centers are active because all of them have played minutes. Uh that will finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GEarenbergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and then we'll be back on Wednesday.